Uh, my name's Johnny, and uh, maybe this is your first time here, you've never seen me before. I, I leave worship here sometimes, and I'm an elder in our church, um, which means that sometimes I get to teach from the Bible, which is pretty awesome. And uh, so today, uh, Rory asked me to teach, he's going to be out of town, and uh, I actually turned him down and said, no, dude, i got a lot going on right now, and then I've already committed to be on the rotation for Polina, and so then Jessica, my wife, reminded me, oh, you're teaching in Polina, and I was like, well, I guess I can teach then, because going to be a church anyway, and I'm going to have to study anyway. So so you're going to get uh, what they're getting in Polina today, which is Romans chapter 5. So right now in Polina, uh, we're going through the book of Romans. And uh, I think I taught Romans chapter 1, and now here I am teaching Romans uh, 5. And so uh, it's actually, I love getting the, the chance to speak and teach here. Um, so when I knew, when I realized, oh, I'm already going to be studying. I guess, I guess I will teach Sunday. It's like, oh, that's great. Um, so, uh, so we're going to read, um, starting in verse 12, because I'm going to, I'm going to do a, I'm going to try to do the whole chapter in, uh, Polina, but I'm going to focus on a few things here that I think are specifically interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll start at Romans 5, 12, and I'm just going to pray real quick before we get started. God, I uh, thank you for this very special and significant book of the Bible, the book of Romans. And I pray that I might be able to do it a little bit of justice today in the the little bit that I'm going to try to um, expound upon. And I pray that your your word would speak to people here today, um, that the, the verses that you inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul would just come to life. And, and speak truth into the hearts of us today. Let, um, let us begin to appreciate your word now, and let us um, have the right respect and reverence for the inspired word of God today as we get into to the text. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, just a quick background on the book of Romans. I think Joe did this the other day. He, he was in Romans too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so you, you guys are getting this from anybody uh, on the Paulina rotation right now. But the book of Romans um, is a book, I actually, I never went to Bible college or anything like that, but when I was in college, I was a biology major, I was a high school biology teacher for a long time now, I'm a principal. Um, when I was in college, I had one semester at the end, or one trimester, spring tri- trimester, must have been about 20, or 2006. I didn't have to go to college anymore that last trimester. And so I took a couple of classes um, while I was waiting for my education program to start. And one of the classes I took in, in, in Bible college, just as like a you know student just taking a class, was the book of Romans. And so um, I studied this pretty in depth for 10 weeks um, at Calvary Chapel in Corvallis. They have a little, had a little Bible college there. Um, and so Romans was written by Paul, and Paul, uh, you know, Christianity started in Israel and, and spread all over the Mediterranean world. And somehow a church had popped up in Rome uh, that was not being pastored by an apostle uh, or had very little um, connection to those first apostles. And I think, I think I'd have to go back and do some research, but I think it was sort of that, that early... Christian movement, when it got persecuted, it spread back to their hometowns, uh, even if they were Jewish and they were from another uh, province of Asia. 
And so, um, so Paul's writing this letter to a church in Rome that hasn't really had a formal pastor in the, in the sense that most of the churches in the New Testament have. And so he's, Romans and, you know, maybe Hebrews is the other epistle that's really a pretty in-depth uh, exposition of, of what Christians think. Romans is probably the best one. And uh, the book of Romans was very key in uh, Martin Luther's life in, um, you know, the Reformation that came where, um, you know, about 500 years ago, the church uh, started to say, hey, I think we've drifted away from the way things are supposed to be done. And so as a young Christian, I always read Romans a lot and, and I love to study it. Um, and so here we are in verse 12 and it's, it's just full of doctrine. You know, the word doctrine just means teaching. And, and we start at verse 12. And verse 12 is probably where I'm going to spend more of my time uh, than anywhere else. And I've got uh, five questions. Whenever I teach from the Bible, I like to ask some questions that I think the reader might be wondering. Or that the text really is helping us understand. And so, um, you know, I was thinking a lot of times worship songs, they're just named after the first few words in the song. So I was looking down at my notes, and I was like, oh, what's today's message going to be titled? What's wrong with you? That's, that's my first question. What is wrong with you? I'm just kidding. What is wrong with me? What's wrong with all of us? That's, that's the first question that we can come to as we start Romans 12, 21. Sorry, 12, 5, 12. I'm, the I swear, guys, I know what I'm teaching here. Uh, same spot. Okay, so Romans 5.12, and Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. This verse has been pivotal in the church's understanding of the nature of man. What is, what is it like to be a man or a woman, a human? What is, what is the nature of humanity um, I was actually, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn how to um, dialogue with people in a way that is actually productive. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I was in college when Facebook came out and, and you know, and then Twitter. And, and I think our culture in general has gotten really good at, like, um, it's sort of like a video game almost. You know, my kids play video games and they... They can go and they can play against another intelligent human through the internet. They have no idea who that person is. But it's way better than like video games when I was a kid where there was just some very basic, you know, artificial intelligence programmed into the game and the game always did the same things and you kind of could learn to predict it. It's really fun to play against another human and to actually um, have to react to real intelligence, right? And... For, for I'm guessing a lot of you who are closer in age to me, when the internet first came out, it was a really good place. And you know, my wife would never be like this, actually. So the big chunk of humanity is probably not crooked in the way that I'm crooked. But I really like to interact intellectually with people uh, over controversial issues. And um, I think a lot of us do. I think that's a big part of Twitter now is, you know, people just share their their Twitter post about what they feel about some political issue or some, for me, I'm less interested in politics, more interested in like spiritual things, you know, and we want to, we want to interact intellectually. Like my argument is better. My ideas are better. And, uh, I was, I was inter trying more recently. So as a young man, uh, it was, it was usually just bam, 
truth bomb, dropping truth bombs on people, you know, and we, we call that trolling, right? You're trolling the internet like you're trolling fishing, and you're like looking for fish, and you're just trolling the internet like looking for people to, you know, like, like for example, um, you know, you could find somebody, I remember doing this a long time ago, if somebody on the internet says, well, there's nothing's really absolutely true, right? Somebody makes a statement like that on Twitter, and then and the, the troll comes along and says, is that statement absolutely true? You know, and, and it's just sort of this place where you can kind of make fun of people and there's sort of this anonymous nature to it. Well, as I'm growing up, I've, I've started to try to like, maybe there's a way to actually like use this platform to inter- interact with people intellectually and, uh, and really try to reason in a way that might actually produce, um, you know, someone's opinion changing rather than just making people upset on the internet. And, um, and so I saw this post recently, and I was tempted to be a troll, but I didn't do it. I saw this post where somebody, you know, I'm friends with a lot of teachers, and somebody had posted something about this new Supreme Court ruling uh, about the football coach in Washington who, who could go and pray at the center of the field at the end of the, the game, and that it wasn't, he wasn't establishing religion and, and stuff. And that this, this person posted this statement, and I wanted to respond, but I didn't. But she said, actually copied it just for this moment. She said, believing that humans are bad and in need of indoctrination of any kind is sad to me. And this had been some really, you know, far left post about how terrible it was that, that a football coach could pray in a, in a, after a football game. And, and so I just I read this post and I just thought, so this person, their view of human nature is that humans are not bad. And, and again, she said, believing that humans are bad and in need of indoctrination of any kind is sad to me. And I just thought, man, is that really a healthy way to raise children, to teach them there is nothing about you that is wrong? All of your instincts and all of your intuitions, they're all good. Everything about you is good. I mean, the, the fruit of that uh, just seems so unhealthy, you know, that, that there would be, there's so many things wrong with me. And to not, to not be honest and admit that uh, seems really unhealthy. And, you know, later on I was listening to an atheist um, uh, psychology professor from Harvard on this YouTube channel I follow called Big Think. And even this atheist psychologist had to say, yeah, there is, and he was talking about the nature of humans, human nature. And he's like, there are things that are just wrong with us. Even this atheist could acknowledge that, you know? Um, and, and as Christians, one of the satisfying things about our worldview is that it, it's really good at explaining human experience, you know? Like, it's not this really limited, um, brand new philosophy that's, that's just come into exist, in existence that, has, that hasn't even thought out the ramifications of its ideas yet, you know? And that's kind of, I think, some of these newer ideas that we see just suddenly coming into existence in our culture. It's like, whoo, where's this going? We don't even know yet, you know? If you were to have a, a worldview that, that humans are innately good and there's nothing wrong with them, that would be a really difficult idea to let, you know, continue to permeate into your society. And, and Western culture, in general, has been tremendously 
influenced by Christianity and tremendously blessed by this statement right here in Romans 5.12. Through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. A Christian view of human nature is that we are all sinners. And even, even modern science uh, benefits from this view. Um, we do this thing now in science called peer review. So we basically acknowledge that, hey, people are crooked. They're, they're wrong. They're prideful. They never, they never want to admit when they are wrong. They think they're always right. And we got to have like a second person there to review the work that the scientists did to, to weed out the errors and the mistakes that this person made. And that's, that's actually one of the key ideas that allowed modern science to develop was the Christian belief that, you know, before, before um, the 1500s, Galileo, uh, Bacon, a few of these Christian guys who started uh, testing things in the real world, you had um, a tradition from Aristotle that, that we can just sit back and think and come up with all the answers. And these Christian guys had this worldview that said, no, people get things wrong all the time. We're sinners. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We got to go out and actually test it. And then we got to check his work because he's a sinner and he might be lying or he might be fooled. Right. And so this this idea that all of us are sinners is really, really a valuable idea um, that we, we find here in the book of Romans. And it's where we also get this thing that we've we've come to believe in called original sin. Okay. And so um, as, as, as I tell you that you're all sinners and that you're all capable of being deceived, I want to encourage you that that's actually a really healthy thing for each one of us to admit. And it's going to produce a much better life for you than if you were to uh, operate like this girl who I saw on Facebook saying, everybody's good and we don't need any teaching whatsoever that we're bad. Like that's actually probably a really bad road to go down. Okay. And just a few examples of the sin that we see in the Bible that that, uh, that that some of the things that are wrong with us, I just kind of thought, what are the, the biggest problems with us that we all seem to share? And I think one of them is anger. You know, like we all have this tendency to get angry. And um, my family, right now we're, we're studying anger together in our devotion. And we saw this verse yesterday that the anger, I think it's in James 2 somewhere, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And um, when we get angry, it clouds our judgment and we make bad decisions. And, and as we were learning about this yesterday, my family and I, you know, wrath is, there's a few different words that get kind of used for the word anger in the Bible. Wrath is when you actually do something, like you throw your Xbox controller across the room because you're so mad about the video game that you're playing or or you punch a wall slam a door or honk your horn and just hold it down for a long time that's those are sort of examples of anger coming out through your actions but then if you let anger kind of dwell inside of you and this this is a problem all of us have if you let anger kind of dwell inside of you you'll develop what's called malice which um is where you begin to not see a person the way they really are because you're angry at them. You begin to kind of label them in your mind as like, oh, no matter what that person says, it's going to be wrong. You know, no matter what that person does, it's going to be bad. 
And that's, that's another word we see in the Bible for anger, and it's malice. And then slander, you know, is when we actually let our anger affect the, what, the things we say about other people. And I would say most of us are probably guilty of these things regularly. This is part of the human condition, part of the things, the kind of, kind of the, the DNA of what's wrong with us. Another problem comes in around money. Money causes a lot of problems, too. It causes us to envy and to, you know, kind of be jealous and look at what other people have and to want those things. Um, it causes us to even get to the point where we're coveting those things. And, and then if we get some of those things, a lot of times it can cause us to become greedy and, and really self-focused and self-centered. Um, and, and, and then, you know, another category of sin that I wrote down is sexual things. Humans go every wrong direction possible, it seems, with sexual things, lust, adultery, fornication. And, you know, I, was just, I wasn't trying to come up with a comprehensive list, but there are these categories of things about us that, that we just screw up, and it's just kind of built into our nature that we do it. Um, and so, uh, as we're going through, it's really important, I think, just to appreciate the value of Romans 5.12, and, and the importance of remembering that we're all sinners. Okay. Now, as we keep going, um, there's another really important idea in Romans 5.12, and it's this idea that sin causes death. And if you go back um, to the beginning, when God created mankind and started with two people, a male and a female, um, he says to them, hey, you got this whole garden, you got this whole experience that I've created for you, but I want you to stay away from this one thing. And um, and we all know how the story goes, Adam and Eve sin, and they, they eat of the fruit of the tree. And, um, and But God, when he told them not to eat it, he said, for if you eat of it, you will surely die. And another question that I appreciate that the Christian faith is, is able to answer and get right is how could a loving God, you ever heard somebody say that? How could a loving God, you know, allow these school shootings to happen? And, you know, like that, that'd be an example where you say, well, this wasn't really God. It was this human and their free will. And, and so that, that isn't as big of a theological problem for people to answer if they have a worldview. But how could a loving God allow natural evil, things that don't even involve the free will of humans. How could a loving God, you know, I remember, in, I think it was about 2004, right around Christmas time, there was a tsunami in uh, the Indian Ocean, and it killed like 130,000 people. You guys remember that? 130,000 people were killed by a natural event. How could a loving God allow something like that? Or how could a loving God allow somebody, you know, young and healthy and a good member of society to get cancer and to suffer through something like that. Like, why are there these terrible evils that are just sort of natural in the world? And, and I find um, the Christian answer to this to be the most satisfying explanation. Either, you know, you've got two options. Either that I can think of, either the world is meaningless, you know, that, that the evolutionists are right, the atheists are right, and, and somehow everything exploded out of nothing, and space dust 
conglomerated and organized itself into little replicating bits that eventually became humans. And, and it's all meaningless, and it just happens because there is no order, there, there, there is no meaning, there is no purpose to it all. Or, the, this, this response, I think, works really well. Now, I have lots of scientific reasons for why I don't think space dust exploded out of nothing and became dinosaurs and humans and everything. But I'm not going to get into that today. But this answer for a theist is a really good answer. That, that God created the world. He didn't, he didn't um, create a world full of natural evil. God didn't create a world where people get cancer. God didn't create a world where tsunamis destroy hundreds of thousands of people's lives. God created a world and he said, it's good. You know, and there's this repeated theme in the book of Genesis that when God makes something, he looks at it and he says, it's good. Oh, that's very good. That's good. But then we can actually read more about the effect of Adam's sin in Romans uh, 8. I don't know if I wrote it down. 8.18. Here we go. So you flip over to Romans 8.18. And I'll tell you, as a young Christian... Trying to, you know, studying biology at college, trying to understand how to answer life's big questions, I found this passage to be just deeply profound. So Romans 8, 18. Paul, Paul, this is still Paul. He's he's made this case about the, the, the original sin and the nature of man. And and he's gotten into um, more about how to live our lives as Christians. And then he's he's talking about sufferings. And he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. So he's talking about sort of these natural evils potentially. Or he could be talking about persecution. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he's basically saying, man, yeah, this world, there's some really, really hard, difficult things going on in this world. And then he says, there's something better though that's coming. And he says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. And, and, and to me, I think that means something about uh, the end times when, you know, like Jesus talked about separating the sheep from the goats. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Uh, the, you know, the traditional uh, Bible-based understanding of why is the world screwed up and, and why am I screwed up, it all goes back to this one event in history where Adam sinned. And sin brought death upon men. But you read the, you read the story, it also changed creation. You know, the snake... His, his appearance was changed. The woman's labor was changed. It says that, that, you know, in terms of farming, that there were now thorns and thistles added to plants. And so there was something extremely supernatural or spiritual that affected the, cre- the, the creation after Adam sinned. And, and all of creation was impacted by corruption. Um, I've heard one sort of philosophy of this is that, you know, we, we think of sin as separating us from God. When, when Adam sinned, God's supernatural sustaining power was removed to a certain degree 
from creation. And so we have sort of these anomalies in the way we can we can see like the good like you look out today the blue skies the trees i mean it's like most of the good creation remains but then there are these moments you know like i remember i used to show this uh documentary planet earth every year in my high school biology class and there's this moment where all the the wildebeests i don't know if that's how you say that wildebeests i think so they're all they're all down at the water drinking 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 and you, everybody knows why we're watching this. The alligator's coming, right? And um, and the alligator springs out, and there's like several slow motion moments of this in this one episode. And at one point, uh, the wildebeest grabs onto, or sorry, the, the crocodile, grabs onto the head of the wildebeest and just drags that thing underwater. And it's like, man, like you're, you're out enjoying God's creation and worshiping him. God, you're so beautiful. You're so glorious. All that you have made is so spectacular. And then here's this rattlesnake, like, devouring a poor little mouse right in front of you. And it's like, well, that's not so beautiful. You know? And there's, there's a certain amount of corruption that has affected creation. Um, and it all, we see here in Romans 12, too, that it, and, and in Romans 8, that this corruption came through Adam's sin. Okay, let's keep going. I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time on Romans 5.12, and then I'm going to go through the rest of the chapter, I promise. Okay. Um, one last thing that I think is interesting, another objection people have, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this. Do people reject Christianity because they're open-minded and they just can't get there? And I don't think they do. I was thinking about this. I, re- I mean, I really think there's there are, and I think, you know, I don't know, you guys maybe don't think about these sort of questions as much as I do, but I think there's spiritual forces involved. I mean, if you read your New Testament, I think you could you could only draw that conclusion. There's really spiritual forces involved in this stuff. And like, if somebody's heart is open, you know, like Jesus talked about, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Like if a person's heart is really open spiritually, like if they were like, I'm willing to believe this if it's true. And I, you know, like, I think that that, that person, they continue to pursue that. They're going to embrace Christ. But I think a lot of people come to the Bible as skeptics and they're not even willing to hear what it has to say. They've already made up their minds about what they believe about it. They're just looking for justification for what they already believe. And so they're looking for these surface, shallow things to reject Christianity based on. Um... You know, and so another another question, uh, the skeptic, when I ask this question, the skeptic's already made up his mind about this, but I think to the honest inquirer, there's a couple of good answers for this one, okay? So my next question is, how did sin spread to all men? So as I continue to think about this idea that Adam's sin affected all creation, and I have been affected by that as well... I think it's a fair question to ask is, how is that okay? How is that right? How is that fair that Adam's sin is passed down to me? And as it's, it's really cool. Like I said, this stuff isn't, um, stuff isn't new. You know, there were people, Christianity's been around for 2,100 years. Or no, 2,000 years, 2,000, a little less than 2,000 years. People have been 
chewing on this stuff for 2,000 years. And there was this guy, his name was Augustine, or Augustine, depending on your prefer- preference. And Augustine, uh, based on Romans 5.12, his answer to this question was as follows. Okay, How can it be fair that, that I am guilty, or an I am exposed to Adam's sin, with, apart from my own choice? So we've got two guys who are going to try to answer this question. They're both from... They were both born in 354 A.D., actually, a long time ago. Augustine and Pelagius. So Augustine read Romans 5.12, and he said that we were actually in Adam. Like, Adam was our proxy, okay? So, like, you know, when you want to vote on something, like, we have an HOA, and, and a friend of ours across the street, her sister owns a property, but she lives somewhere else, and so her sister's always her proxy to vote for things, right? So a proxy, you can just you can do it for someone else. And so Augustine's view, based on uh, Romans 5.12, was that, that we were actually in Adam. That Adam was our proxy, that he is like a federal head for all of uh, humanity. And that, that just as Adam sinned, any one of us would have done the same thing. And so how is it fair? That's an answer. okay? And, and that's from Augustine. And then there was this other guy, Pelagius, who... The first time I heard this, I thought, that sounds like a heresy. But I think it's worth entertaining um, for the sake of the skeptic, okay? And so Pelagius has more of like a social science perspective on this, although he's 354 AD as well. And he actually said, we are not born sinners. And, you know, as a Protestant, I think we hear this and we're like, well, you're a heretic. Hold on. Let's not go any further with that idea. But he, he, he suggested, we are not born sinners, but we all sin because we imitate those around us. And so in his view, human beings are born and, and they all men will sin. All men will fall into sin because we see it all around us and we imitate those around us. Um, and if you could use Augustine's uh, version in one word, so we have the word imitate causes sin with Pelagius. With Augustine, inheritance. It's literally inheritance. That you sin because you inherited uh, Adam's sin and you were born in sin uh, to begin with. And so, for those who are uh, struggling to understand, I've got a metaphor. It's sort of like, why am I sick? Do I, am I sick because I have an STD that I inherited, an STI? Or am I sick because after I was born, I got a respiratory disorder? You know, Either way, both of these guys are agreeing, I'm sick. There's something wrong with me. But the mechanism of how it happens and how is it fair and how is it right, those are two interesting options. Now, I think it's good for us to study church history and to look at what intelligent minds have thought in the past, but also to see their weaknesses. And one of the things that's interesting, I think Augustine's view of this you know, has kind of been the more mod- uh, popular view. Uh, there are a few things that, that we see Augustine, there are a few ideas of his that were less helpful. And they came from this. And so this is where the practice of infant baptism came from. So Augustine actually thought if we baptize the child as an infant, we can wash away that original sin that's upon them. And, and uh, the, you know, the, uh, theology can become sort of like the Bible plus philosophy. And I think, I think what we do really well in, in the modern church is we kind of say, I don't want to go too deep down any of those 
theology rabbit trails, I just want to be pretty fair to the text, right? Because you start taking these original sin ideas and some of this stuff, and you go further, 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 and it's like, you're getting pretty far out now, right? And, and I think the reason the modern church has kind of done away with this idea of infant baptism is because it um, eclipses what's clearly taught in Scripture, which is a personal uh, devotion and repentance, you know, if you're baptized as an infant, and my parents are Christians, they baptized me as an infant, lost my original sin, and it, it sort of leads to, I don't even have a real relationship with God anymore. You know, it's all this religious mumbo jumbo. But as Christians, we can say, ha, ah, like my kids, I don't know what you guys have told your kids, but my kids, I've told them, I don't want you to get baptized until you understand why you're getting baptized. And for most of my kids, you know, age 7, 8, 9, 10, they've, they've gotten baptized one of my boys, he's like, you know what? Dad told me he got baptized when he was seven. Then he got baptized when he was 18 because he didn't really know if he meant it when he was seven. And my son Noah's just like, you know, I'm just going to wait until I'm like old enough to really make that choice for myself. You know, I think that's a, a healthy place to go with it. But anyway, I've gotten into all this nerdy philosophy and, and theology. Let's get back to the text, okay? So we move on. Romans 13. For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Now this phrase, who is a type of him who is to come, that's what we're going to get into now. So, so Paul makes this statement that all mankind is, are sinners because Adam sinned, and that sin uh, is now affected us to where we've become sinners and and part of the reason that we know this is true is all people die now but then he says but there's this guy jesus or sorry he says this guy adam is a type of him who is to come and he'll spend the next 15 through 21 of romans 5 he'll spend the next uh chunk of text just comparing adam to jesus and so you know it's really important and i wanted to spend some time on this idea that we're all sinners Oh, but now the good news is that there is a solution for this sin problem. And so I actually made a little chart um, of ten, nine, eight things. Eight ways that uh, Adam, and it just says, you know, I wish we were in my science class and I could have my document cam so you could see this. Adam, Jesus, and it's sort of like a Venn diagram without anything in the middle that they share. Okay? And, uh, and so we're going to look at, like, how is Adam like Jesus? Only, have you ever seen one of those pictures where they take all the colors and they invert them? You guys ever seen that? You, like, take this nice picture of yourself, you know, and you're like, oh, look how nice I look. And then you're messing around with your editing settings and, and now, oh my gosh, my teeth are black. You know, and I look like a serial killer. You know, it looks like something that you would see on uh, CSI or something. You know, you invert all the colors and it's just super creepy. That's Jesus and Adam. You know, Adam, here's Jesus. Oh, this handsome, you know, Middle Eastern guy, you know, with a nice beard. And then you invert all the colors. Here's Adam. All the bad stuff came through him. All the good stuff comes through Jesus. And so Paul's going to get into this now in verses uh, 15 through 21. The free gift is not like the offense. So there's two, there's two words. I don't think I even wrote these down. There's a free gift that comes from Jesus. And there's an offense that comes from Adam. For if by one man's offense, 
many died. Much more by the grace of God and the gift, uh, by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ, uh, the gift of the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. So, so we've got Adam who caused people to become sinners, and we've got Jesus who causes people to become righteous. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. So because of Adam, the dark side of man, all people sin. But because of Jesus, there's this free gift offered to anyone who would accept it, that they could be righteous. Rather than being condemned, you can be righteous. For if by one man's offense... Death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness righteousness will reign in life through the one. So Adam's behavior caused death, but Jesus' behavior causes life. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification to life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. Uh, Where the sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So my little chart here as I as I read through that text, you know, we have Adam who sinned. We have Jesus with a righteous act. We have Adam who brought death. We have Jesus who brought life. We have Adam who brought condemnation. We have Jesus who brings justification. That you can be righteous, that you can be made right with God. We have Adam who acted in disobedience. We have Jesus who acted in obedience to the Father. Uh, going to the cross. Through Adam, many were made sinners, but through Jesus, many are made righteous. Uh, Through Adam, we are separated from God, but through Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. Um, Through Adam, we were at enmity with God, which means there was this hostility between us. But with Jesus, we now have peace with God. And um, through Adam, God is no longer accessible But through Jesus, we have access to God. And so um, Paul sees all these parallels and wants to draw out the truth of who Adam was versus who Jesus is in this passage. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, Now, um, before I close, I I want to address one more thing about... Sin, and that is, he says in um, verse thirteen, for the until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And then uh, he says in verse twenty about the law. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And so this is an interesting teaching from the book of Romans. Uh, as we're coming in halfway, uh, you you may not have seen this, and so I want to go back to um, well. I'll just give you a sense. Paul, when he talks about the law, 
You know, a lot of people, they look at the Old Testament and they see it as a way to be right with God. You know, they see the Ten Commandments and they say, oh, so if I do these things, then I'm right with God. And they look at the, the law as a way to earn God's favor. But as you read the New Testament, there's no way to earn God's favor. And in, in Romans uh, 2 and 3, Paul, Paul even makes a claim that no flesh shall be justified by the deeds of the law. So you're never going to be right with God because you do enough good things. That's Paul's point. Instead, what he says here in Romans 5 is that, that the law was actually given so that you could see that you're a sinner. And, and so um, when he says the law entered that the offense might abound, he's saying God gave the law so that, that people would realize how unrighteous they are, how, how sinful they are. And then in Romans 4, uh, 5.14, he says, um, or 13, he says, until the law, sin was in the world, but not imputed. And this is a really interesting idea uh, from Paul. And if you only had that, you might say, well, I guess if a person doesn't know that there is right and wrong, that uh, they can't be held guilty for it. But it's unlikely that's what Paul meant in that passage because in Romans 2.14, Paul's getting into more of this stuff uh, at the beginning of the, the, the letter. And he says, when Gentiles who do not have the law, Gentiles are non-Jewish people, when they don't have the law, they by nature do the things in the law. That to a certain degree... We all have sort of this built-in morality that God's given us. Um, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. And so there is, God has implanted in man a certain general sense of right and wrong, a certain morality. Um, and, and between themselves, their thoughts either accusing or excusing them. And so... Um, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men, I, I can't find it here, and it's not that important that I find it, but, but Paul basically says people are going to be judged just based on their own conscience if they've never heard. You know, so the, the, the book of Rome is another great place to answer the question, what about those who've never heard? You know, and, the, and that passage would kind of get you there. Now, uh, because I don't think I've been talking that long, I'm going to wrap up with one final thought. If we, were, if we were studying through the book of Romans, I would have started in... 5-1, gone through the chapter. But because we're just kind of jumping in, I wanted to start with the bad news first, uh, which which really hit hard in Romans 5-12. But now, let's just finish out um, through verse 5 uh, to close it up, okay? And so, um, a kind of a completely unrelated, extremely valuable thing that you can get out of the book of Romans chapter 5 is this is this verse in Romans 5-5. And so let's get there. Um Therefore, having been justified by faith, his therefore connects to Abraham that's in chapter 4. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's one of those things that Jesus worked for us uh, that is completely opposite to Adam. That Adam separated us from God, but we now through Jesus have peace with God. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
So, as a Christian, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about theology and philosophy, and those are kind of the things that interest me. But another completely unrelated subject that Romans 5 has always been really important for me for is the Holy Spirit and the nature of our relationship to God through the Holy Spirit. And specifically, what does that actually feel and look like? And as a young Christian, I, I'm, not, I'm not a very emotional person. And as a young Christian, I experienced God's love in emotional ways. And I would hope most of you could say I've experienced that too. And I wanted to, as a Christian, I wanted to say, is this real? Is this, is this amazing, you know, like joy and peace and emotional um, satisfaction that I experience? Is this like, is this just a product of like some sociological effect, blah, 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 you know, the God spot in my brain plus the social pressure, you know, like that's just, that's how my brain thinks. And I apologize for you. Many of you are like, what are you talking about? I know there's a few of you out there like me though, who are like, yeah, I'm a total skeptic too, actually. I like to explain things. So one guy I really respect is John Piper. You know, he's really fair to the text. And, I, and I, uh, John Piper is, you know, he's a Calvinist. He's, he's, he's reformed in his theology. Like he's, he's going to be friends with those cessationists like John MacArthur. And yet, you know, I, I don't have time to get all into all that, but but uh, I went to John Piper and I and I kind of started wondering about these things. And worship team, you can come back up. I got about four minutes of stuff left to say. But is 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 experiencing God really an emotional thing? Like, can you can you make that case from the text of Scripture? Like these, you know, I'm sure some of you come to church and you see these weirdos with their hands up, and you're just like, man, those people are just earth muffins, aren't they? They're just some fruity little pebbles, you know? It's like, I, I and I, I started going to church in college thinking that, like, oh, this isn't how they did it at the Baptist church I went to, you know? What's with all these emotional people up there, you know? And like, if you've ever been to a Pentecostal church, man, you really see some things at churches like that, am I right? I went to a Pentecostal church my first year in college, and my buddy's dad was a pastor. It's strange, man. Are these people just being weird and emotional, or is this stuff biblical? There's obviously a lot of, a lot of things to deal with in that. But the basic question I, I found Romans 5, 5 to really satisfy is the question, is experiencing God something that actually happens in our emotions, or should it only happen in our mind? Okay, And, and honestly, you can't really separate your mind from your emotions, right? But look at, look at how uh, Paul describes this in Romans 5, first five verses. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, yes, in my mind, I understand. I have peace with God. I'm justified like it's like an accounting thing and, you know, like I'm right before him, you know, and I can just keep all that in my mind and not have any emotions, right? Uh, and oh yeah, I have access into his presence. And when I pray in Jesus' name, I have access into his presence. Okay, still just in my mind. And not only that, we glory in tribulations, knowing tri- tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, okay? Hope is still just an idea, though, right? And then Paul says this really interesting phrase in Romans 5.5 5, that I think just proves beyond a reasonable doubt Christianity is an emotional experience on top of an intellectual idea. Now, hope does not, you know, I got all this hope. I'm going through all this persecution. People are mistreating me because I'm a Christian. 
But I've still got hope. And Paul says, and you know how we're, you know one thing that gives us confidence that our hope isn't something real? The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You cannot make that an intellectual statement. I mean, it's, it's, and it's an idea, but this is not an intellectual experience. The love of God being poured out into your heart. This is a deeply emotional, spiritual experience that Paul's talking about right here. I've, I've got great confidence that what I believe about reality is true because I have experienced God's love in my heart. That's really interesting. The Christianity is not just an intellectual endeavor, but it is a deeply emotional, and I would use the word spiritual endeavor. And, you know, there's a, there's a guy by the name of uh, Moody, D.L. Moody, I think, who described this same kind of experience as waves of liquid love. And that just sounds goofy, man. Come on, that can't be that can't be accurate biblically, you know. No, like there is something completely beyond your intellectual experience that you can experience spiritually as you fix your mind on truth about who God is, that not only will the Holy Spirit get your thoughts straight, but he will pour into your heart and fill you with overwhelming Joy and hope and peace that is emotional and spiritual in nature. That's pretty awesome. You know, and I think as Christians, we don't pursue that enough. You know, we kind of treat that like, well, that's something that just happens to me arbitrarily without my uh, involvement whatsoever. And I, I don't want to don't want to try to conjure anything up. So I just stay away from those things as much as possible. You know, and I think like the Bible talks about returning to our first love. I think most of us here have probably experienced this at some point in our Christian walk. But we get away from it. We get away from pursuing God in a way that that he's more than just ideas to us. It's so easy, I think, in our flesh to just hang out in the realm of ideas. It's super easy for me. But to sort of discipline ourselves to pray to worship, to, to not just read the text of Scripture and analyze it like a lawyer, but to read the text of Scripture and, and try to enjoy God and, and, and um, you know, meditate on, on the nature of who He is and what He's done and to, to kind of mull over it, you know, until it's welling up within us. Like, I think that's, that's the right approach to... to um, uh, experiencing God's love being poured out in our hearts. And so, um, for those of you who aren't Christians here, if, if there's one of you out there, I want to encourage you, today you can be reconciled to God. Today you can have the sin, that the sin condition that you have can be forgiven, that you no longer have to be uh, at enmity with God but that you can be at peace with God, that God no longer needs to be inaccessible to you, but, but you can now have access into the presence of God where His love could be poured out in your heart. That, that the sin problem that you have can be overcome by the righteous act that Jesus um, performed on the cross for you, taking your sin 
and, and giving you a place to be right with God. That you no longer need to, to be headed towards spiritual death for all eternity. But that you can instead be headed toward eternal life through Jesus Christ. That, that, um, that disobedience no longer needs to mark your life. But now obedience to God could be the, the thing that, that brings you joy and pleasure. Um, you can be made righteous. You know, if you're here and this Christianity stuff is new for you, I probably was talking about way too lofty things at the beginning. But here's, here's the big idea. Your sin separates you from God. And there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament that people used to try to follow to be right with God. It didn't work. But God doesn't expect you to do enough good things to be right with him. Instead, God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and, and take the punishment that you deserved. And now he offers to you, as we read about over and over again, the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. God is willing to offer to you a gift of eternal life that, that through no act of your own, the righteousness of God, the perfect, holy, spotless, blameless righteousness of God could be imparted to you and imputed to you and you could be made righteous in his sight um, and have access into his presence. So if you're if you're not a Christian, if you if you're hearing these things and for some reason you got dragged to church or you you've done the church thing a little bit here and there, but you're just kind of an observer on the outside, man, don't wait any longer. Be reconciled to God today through his son Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer here, which I think is probably most of us, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you that you have this sin problem, but you've all that good stuff I just preached about being made right with that, you've had that, and you now have, as it says in Romans 5.1, you have peace with God through Jesus, and you have access by faith into grace, and you can stand in God's presence because of that. And that as you commune with God, and as you um, read His Word, and meditate on His precepts, and appreciate His goodness, and even see Him in creation, and, and His power, and His glory, that you can, you can experience His love in both an intellectual way, but also in a spiritual way that it overflows in your heart. And so I want to encourage you, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, let's pursue God this week. Let's pursue um, a, a love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Let's not, let's not kind of just float through our Christian lives. Let's pursue God and pursue His righteousness and His love this week. Amen? Amen. Alright, go ahead, Adam. Lord, You are so good. Lord, just, um, You are faithful to deliver on Your promises, Lord, and you are the better, the greater Adam. We're just thankful that um, it doesn't, the story doesn't end um, with Adam and Eve in the garden. Lord, but you redeemed us. You've come, you've come here, Lord, to wash us white as snow. Just thank you for your word out of Romans today. Thank you that stir, may that just stir in our heart this week, Lord, and Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.